0: Howdy ladies and gentlemen, this is your host Alex Hopper and I'd like to welcome you to Policies, Problems, and Progress. On this show, we're going to be reviewing politics. I'm going to be giving you my personal take on the topics that you care about and hopefully maybe providing you a new insight, whether it's the look in the middle, the look on one side or the look on the other, or just an insane take that I have out of nowhere. But I hope that you all enjoy and gain some good insight. And I look forward to you all getting to know me and getting to hear my voice throughout this series. Now the topic we're going to be looking at today is a world conflict, but I will be coming at it through the lens as an American and my takes as to do with our country and what we're going through and what the world is expecting of us right now and the actions that we're supposed to take in it. And of course, I'm talking about the divisive Ukrainian conflict with Russia. Now, I am going to preface this. I don't like Russia. I don't like any form of authoritarian government. So why I also despise the ATF and any sort of other government organization that imposes laws arbitrarily and corruptly to take advantage of anyone. And that includes countries that invade others or don't allow free speech to their citizens. I'm not here to argue whether the war in Ukraine is a good or a bad thing, or whether other world leaders in other countries should be involved in it, because honestly, I don't live in those countries. Where I live is the United States of America, where my vote counts is the United States of America, and that's the lens we're going to be looking at it in today. Now, how I usually like to do this show is to give both sides, then look at the middle and my take. So there are people in this country who believe that we should be in Ukraine, that we should be a part of the fight, that we should be funding them and going head to head with Russia. And then on the opposite side, there are people that believe that we should not be anywhere near it. We shouldn't be sending any money. We shouldn't even have our toes in the water because there is a shark in the pool. And then there's the people in the middle who, as always, range from one side to the other. Maybe they think that we should only send a handful of troops, or only send weapons, or just tell Russia that they're being naughty. But those people always have an interesting insight as to their views. And that's what we're going to try to look at in this episode. Not the Ukrainian conflict itself. Not anything to do with the Ukraine or Russia, but the role that America has to play in this and whether it should have a role to play in this. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, although I wouldn't know how, Russia invaded Ukraine in February of 2022. This was an escalation of the Uso-Ukrainian war that's been going on since 2014, of course, where Russia engaged in similar behavior last time, but Ukraine for the most part stood strong against them. Many countries from around the world have been sending money, military equipment, and support, but none more than the United States. The weapon systems that we have sent have kept them battle-effective and kept them in the fight against Russia. But they have also caused conflict and anger towards the United States from Russia, which, pissing off a nuclear superpower, it's your opinion what that does. But there are people and politicians, yes they are separate things, in this country that believe we should be in Ukraine, that we should be supporting the fight in Ukraine. Now, why is that? The first one we're going to take a look at is the humanitarian outlook on things, because it's the one that I am most sympathetic with, and I'll always let you know my bias on this show. I believe in helping people, and I don't believe in letting people suffer if you're able to do something about it. And that's what these people are saying. They are saying that a country is being invaded, people are dying, innocent people are having their homes shelled and destroyed, and it's a very simple but also a very reasonable outlook on why we should get involved in Ukraine. It's also the most effective one for the media to use because it's very easy to show destroyed buildings, destroyed homes, piles of bodies, and get an emotional reaction from people to get them to put their support into a war with Russia. So that's the one you're probably going to see the most, especially making appeals to the common people of this country who could not give less of a crap about our foreign interests. And that is what the next one is going to be, foreign interest. But this can be split up into many different things. I'm a business major, so we'll start off with business. We do a lot of business with Ukraine as well as a lot of other countries in that region and giving them over to the Russian bloc would strengthen the Russian-Chinese relationship that they have as well as give Russia more money and hold in the region and become a more effective competitor against European and NATO countries. The next reason is military. Due to its placement, Ukraine acts as a block between Russia and the rest of Europe, as well as other NATO countries in the area. It is almost seen as the fence between them so that they're not touching and cannot just cross the border one day and be inside one of them. This is similar to the placement of Belarus, even though Russia has large political interests within that country. However, if Ukraine is lost, these people will argue that Moldova, Romania, Hungary, Slovakia, and especially Poland will then be susceptible to Russian invasion and an all-out world war. Luckily for this reasoning, Ukraine is still holding out for the most part against both Black Sea and Northern invasions and has not even reached close to getting to Moldova, Poland, or Romania yet. But if Ukraine is lost, there's nothing keeping Russia from marching on to the next state. There is also the momentum argument that if Russia continues to invade Ukraine, that it will eventually push through and give it the strength that needs to continue for an all-out world war. Not just stopping at Poland or Moldova or Slovakia, but also pushing through Europe. Italy, France, Spain, everywhere in Europe, leading to another all-out war in Europe, which is the last thing that we need. And this is an interesting outlook because it is suggesting war to prevent war, which is not a fallacy. It's very intricate and it's valid, but it's yet to be seen if that is truthful in the long term of things. And of course, we won't know unless Russia does get that sort of momentum. Now, the direct answer to this one would be, wouldn't fighting Ukraine go ahead and lead to that all-out war? And truthfully, we have no way of knowing. And that is where personal assumption comes in. Will it cause this war? Will it cause that war? Will it cause nuclear war? And that's where lies the argument. So where people in the middle usually differ with people who support invasion against Russia is action plan. And there are a lot of different action plans that these people suggest And the people who believe we shouldn't be over there believe that we should have none at all. But let's take a minute to look at the action plans and ideas to support Ukraine that these people are pushing. Now, starting on the less extreme end, there are people who support our government sending a great amount of money over there to be able to fund them buying arms from other countries, as well as being able to pay for ammunition, food, medical supplies, and all sorts of other things. And then there are people who believe that we should be sending them the weapons directly from our own stockpiles. And we'll call this camp the support from afar camp. Now, we've seen this type of action before whenever it comes to our involvement in foreign conflicts, whether it be arming guerrilla fighters, arming al-Qaeda before they were al-Qaeda. You can look that one up. That's an interesting story. And also in the Korean War, to some extent, where we had very little of our own soldier involvement and mostly were arming them. We even took this kind of action in Afghanistan to a lesser degree, where we were trying to build up the local militias and local police, who were most of the time, uh, let's call it resistant to being trained. But we even did this in World War II with the French rebels, and those astute historians will know that in both World War I and World War II, we began By arming from afar. That's why the Lusitania was sunk and that's why Pearl Harbor was attacked. Because we were arming their enemy. Let's just hope history does not repeat itself. (laughs) And then there are people who support invasion of the region. I mean, you can tell from the way I'm speaking, I am not in favor of that happening being within the draftable age, but also knowing a lot of people who are within the draftable age. These people believe that we have a responsibility to these countries for the earlier mentioned reason, and that we should be there fighting for humanitarian causes and prevention of destruction of a nation against Russia. I can't say I fully agree, but we'll get to that in a bit. And this varies from having a great amount of soldiers sent over there to just a handful to train people, and both of which have been tried before in similar conflicts with puppet states of America and Russia and didn't exactly go well. And finally, there is the camp of stay out. And, uh, It's it's more of a camp of let's not get into this right now because we're not exactly in a state to be doing this. For those who don't have short-term memory loss, we just pulled out of Afghanistan and we left a good amount of equipment there, more than could arm a small nation state to our enemy who we were fighting over there, who is now taking control of it and is doing parades with it. Our stockpiles are low because of this, and also our enemies have access to our weaponry. Russia has been caught buying our equipment from these terrorist groups so that they're able to continue the war in Ukraine. So not only are we going to be going up against Russian armament, but we'll be also be going up against U.S. armament and other radios that have access to our channels. Not to mention that we just released the Lord of War, one of the most notorious arms dealer to ever grace the earth. We just gave him to Russia for a female basketball player who doesn't even really like this country. But I'm not here to talk about that, other than the fact that we just gave them one of the most notorious arm dealers in the entire world. And then there's our economy. Most people don't want to say it, but we're in a recession. People are struggling to afford groceries. People are struggling to keep their houses, keeping their rent, and everyone is feeling the crunch right now. Everyone except the elite and the politicians who get to do their special stock trades so that they're able to continue comfortably. Where normal U.S. citizens like you and me are trying to get meal-to-meal, rent-to-rent, just to finish out college, or even just survive your job on a week-to-week basis, we all know that we're not equipped for a war right now. Our economy is tanked, our weapons stockpile is ruined, and people at Lockheed Martin are just creaming their britches waiting for another U.S. loan or U.S. money print to start making more weapons and more ammunition, but we can't be giving our money to them right now. And with the surge of disasters that we have been through right now, with the fires in Maui, the hurricanes hitting the southern part of the U.S., to even the silly little mud-trapped Burning Man, we are spread thin and across the entire country just trying to deal with our own problems. But because of the Ukrainian conflict, getting our politicians' attention has not been easy. As many know, Biden didn't bother going to Maui till a week later and just clogging up the streets. He still hasn't been to East Palestine. He only incoherently spoke for a little while to the hurricane survivors. And this is not a show to talk about Biden. I really couldn't give less of a crap about the guy. But every decision that he has made in his presidency, and that's not to let the senators off the hook. Every decision that our politicians have made in the federal level has led to us being in probably the worst state to go to war in. Americans are struggling to feed and clothe themselves. Thousands of people are misplaced in Maui and in the southern U.S. from the hurricanes. All the while, billions and billions and billions of dollars still roll to Ukraine, while the rest of us are struggling to get by. And as this money printing continues, our money that we already have is worth less and less. It used to be, before the industrial-military complex, people had to buy war bonds for us to go to war. The government couldn't just print more money, they couldn't just pull it out of thin air, they couldn't tax us to death to be able to afford the next level of horse-crap stealth fighter. They actually had to beg the U.S. people for money. And you know how much politicians love begging so throughout the years they've installed more policies that give us more taxes more burden more pain more hunger all the while they are sending just a stupid amount of money to ukraine which if you haven't been following headlines the new york times is finally coming around and saying where's this money going where is this money winding up and nobody has an answer and as far as foreign interests Starting off with the business, we've already lost it. We are trying to fight to keep ourselves as the number one currency for the world, as the number one trade for the world, but we've lost it already to China. We've lost it the minute that Bill Clinton gave number one preferred trade status to that country. So it becomes a question of the kingdom versus the empire. Is the U.S. a superpower anymore? Can the U.S. afford to be paying for other people's battles? And can we afford to be fighting their battles for them? I don't think so. You may have a different opinion, and I respect different opinions. But I think that we have put ourselves in a position by election and federal decision that we are not in any sort of place to be paying, fighting, or going up against anybody because we are struggling to keep the kingdom fed and safe. All the while, we have military bases all over the world in all different countries so that they're able to benefit from our military-industrial complex and not have to worry about building up their own military forces. We have been the world police. And all the while, all these years, the countries that we have been inside of and ones next to the ones we've been inside of have criticized us for this. Calling us the world police. Calling us awful. Thinking that we shouldn't be involved in other people's conflicts. But the minute a white country is invaded, oh no, we need help. For example, the Bosnian genocide. Because it was an African nation, no one gave a crap. We just let them murder each other and take over and commit a holocaust against one racial group. And no one batted an eye. But as soon as a country that we have some level of trade with, that we have some level of empathy with because they look similar to what most of us look like, we are being called to go fight the battles for them. We're being called to be the world police. We're being called like the mother who has to end the children's fight. And just like the mother, we have over cradled the world. These countries have become weak. They've become unable to fight their own fights. And because we've been installed for so long, most of them do not stand a chance against Russia. Are we responsible for that? Are we responsible for picking up the mess? That's your opinion. But there is a sense of responsibility, I think, but it still doesn't mean that we should be fighting their battles for them. It means they should come together in some sort of, I don't know, European Union and make some sort of military agreement to support each other and build up their own stockpiles instead of relying on NATO. Which, by the way, NATO just means U.S. There's other countries in it. We are the only ones who are military capable to do their fighting for them. And like I said, I believe in the humanitarian pain that's going on there. It is awful to see what these people are being put through. But we have our own humanitarian problems here in our own country. Our homeless problem is like it's never been before. Our drug crisis, the fentanyl crisis, Maui on fire, hurricanes, a southern border, all sorts of issues throughout this country. People rioting from immigrants being placed with them in their cities, prioritizing illegal immigrants housing over the housing that the people in their own cities need. We have a humanitarian crisis as well. And we can't overlook ours to take care of someone else's because you cannot pour from an empty pitcher. And finally, there's the obvious one, nukes. I believe maybe if we were in 1940, if we were in 1920, we may be in a spot where we could spare a few bucks. We could go over there, send a few men because conflict meant isolated. The world is so much smaller than it was back then. Whenever we were fighting in Europe and fighting in the Pacific, we were fighting in Europe and in the Pacific. Today, if we go to war with a country, the entire world becomes a battlefield. World War III won't be World War III. It will become World War I, because the other two will not even come close to meeting the definition of world that this one will. There will be no neutral countries, because the nuclear holocaust that is possible to happen will wipe out life almost everywhere. Few places will not be affected by it. And there will still be human life on this world, but there will not be a United States. There will not be a Russia, and if there's a Europe, I will be surprised. We are talking about nuclear annihilation. If you thought Nagasaki or Hiroshima was bad, Google Tsar Bomba and people will say that Russia doesn't have a nuke that powerful anymore. Yeah, good luck getting the truth out of the Kremlin. We've always been great at that. It was the entire reason that the Cold War was a Cold War, fighting through puppet states and espionage, because an insurmountable conflict means the death of our countries. We used to be able to afford to fight. We used to be able to afford to lose a few battles. But the next war will be over in about 15 minutes, and people will say, oh, Putin won't use nuke, so people in the Russian government won't let him do that. Yeah, you're putting a lot of faith in Putin for a guy who, one, you don't trust and you hate, and two, just invaded a country for no goddamn reason. Anyone who's putting their faith into Putin to have some sort of humanitarian spirit and not nuke the world is not looking at the Ukrainian conflict at all. Looking at the schools, the malls, the homes, the rape, the destruction that is happening in Ukraine. They're not watching any of it if they trust this man not to launch nukes at us. He is a desperate man. And from my own experience, desperate men are the most unpredictable because we predict people by what they want and what they have. And whenever they want everything and have nothing, they have unlimited outcomes. What's happening in Ukraine is awful. I hate that it's happening. I wish that we were in a place to do something about it. But because of the mistakes, the economic mishandling, the fumbling of our stockpile, the crisis that we face in our own country, as well as nuclear warfare being a possible option in this day and age, unlike any sort of warfare we've ever seen before, we cannot do anything about it. So far, we've gotten away with sending money over there and sending weapons. But how long is Russia going to allow that? How long before the next Pearl Harbor is five times 9 And that's not Out of place to say, I don't think. Because we're talking about a nuclear superpower that would invade our shores in a second if we let them. I'm a Christian, man. I hope and pray for peace. I hope and pray for good things to come. I pray for the people to be spared and anyone who's committed evil against them to be punished. But we have mishandled our country. We are no longer a superpower and we cannot do anything. If we had been better at handling our economy, handling our military equipment, and ensuring that nuclear weapons are off the table for any country on the world, we may have had a chance. But unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. So just like the Bosnian genocide, except this time it's not a choice, we have to sit by and watch and hope and pray for the best. Because Lord knows that Putin will press that button in a second. The only hope that Europe has is that Putin knows if he nukes Europe that the fallout will affect his own country. And defending that might be hard, but if it hits us, they won't even feel the splash. Again, I want to say I'm not pro-Putin. I don't like the guy. I think what he's doing in Ukraine is horrible. But we cannot afford nuclear war. We cannot even afford out of our pockets to pay for a war. We cannot afford our young men to go die in a war. And we cannot afford to sacrifice our country just over some virtue signaling. It's horrible. And I hope that we can still do something. But from the looks of things, it's only going to get worse. And we're only going to be able to do less and less. And on that, I want to thank you for listening. Most episodes are not this depressing. In most episodes, I try to end off with a positive message. This topic is kind of difficult. But this has been Policies, Problems, and Progress with Alex Hopper. I've enjoyed having you all here. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe. And remember to turn off the gas before you go to bed.
1: For more information about the podcast, the host, or our parent company, please visit the link in this episode's description. Also visit us on YouTube and Rumble to see and hear every content produced by Alga Productions. Thank you once again for your time and support. Until next time, stay tuned and stay inspired.